Hello and welcome to what is officially episode two of Election Watch. But let's be real, even though we've only had one episode, I'm calling this a soft reboot. Welcome to the revised and retconned episode one of Election Watch. And wouldn't you know, we are here talking about the French legislative elections because we had such a successful carryover from my hour and a half of rambling about the French presidential elections that I thought, you know what, let's leave it for two months. So now we are back. Um, I am delighted to be joined by Vicky, who anyone who has listened in to Expression FM news or basically anything that's been going out politically from Expression uh, will remember as a brilliant contributor to all of our shows, pretty much all of them, you didn't miss many at all, did you? No. Um, and yeah, this is the official second episode of something that is now, I'm going to say, a hybrid partnership between the Expression <laughs> FM News and the Politics Unboxed. And we are going to be talking, rambling, assessing, however you feel safe in describing it, our unhinged mutterings about the French legislative elections which have now been over for a couple of weeks. And it looks like the French legislative body is headed for a vote of no confidence. I mean, what do you think? So everything we're going to say is going to be completely useless in a week's <laughs> time because things may have changed. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly the sort of professional and political podcasty tone I had in mind when I was thinking about how we set this up. But without any further ado, let's sort of uh, go into election watch because now is just about the right time for intro music election watch so uh, for those of you who aren't aware of how the french legislative elections work it's over two rounds very much like the french presidential elections first round anyone who qualifies to be a candidate for each of the uh well technically it's uh constituencies or arrondissements locking them down into the 577 members who will be elected anyone who's made it past the quota to stand can stand but if no one gets 50 percent in that first round which took place this time on the 12th of june 2022 well then it goes to a runoff between the top two candidates and that takes place a week later the 19th of june was the time for the second round and well it wasn't a good night for french president emmanuel macron for the prime minister elizabeth bourne their coalition the ensemble coalition headed up by la république en marche uh, macron's party along with two uh, main centrist allies who will i'm sure dive into later they lost 101 seats and shared on average about 8% of the vote across the two rounds, losing 6.5% in the first round and 10.5% in the second round, putting them down to below a majority, which means they're going to have to look for new partners if they want to work through a proper functioning French government. Uh, they went down from 346 seats to 245, with the biggest winners of the night being La France Insoumise and Jean-Luc Mélenchon's new alliance, uh, which I am now going to do my best to tell you what it is in French, because, I mean, 
good luck for me. It's the Nouvelle Union, uh, le populaire écologie et la société, or N-U-P-E-S. If we want it in English, it's the New Ecological and Social People's Union. Um, they are the biggest winners of the night. They have gained, uh, I think, 79 seats as uh, an alliance Mélenchon's party on their own, gaining 67 seats. Big winners. Uh, Rassemblement National, the National Rally, Marine Le Pen's party, gaining 81 seats to move up into third place. The Union of the Right and the Centre, uh, La Union Droite Centrale, is the big loser, really, aside from Ensemble, the main centre-right grouping. They've... They've not made gains. They've gone backwards. They've halved their seat total. They've gone down by 66, more than halved. They're now only on 64 seats. Um, there are a smattering of other parties and groupings who have got uh, a various number of seats, 21 going to what's called the miscellaneous left. Lots of other left parties who are just aligning themselves by the fact that they are not NUPES or Macron's Ensemble. Uh, the ecologists lose their only part, uh, their only representative. So they're down to zero now. Miscellaneous rights, they're getting 10 seats. The regionalists, so if we think about the SNP or Ply Cymru in the UK, that's what they would be mainly in, I think, the, the Brittany area. Um, of course, Eurovision having the Breton language back. Maybe that's seen a boost for them because they've doubled their representation up to 10 seats centrist independents and miscellaneous people getting four uh, the sovereignist right which i must admit i had not heard of until i started looking into this they've stayed on one it's just the one member for them and then a couple of independents getting some seats as well uh, no seats notably for reconquête the party of eric zemmour who built himself up as this major challenger to marine le pen well he didn't win the presidency and his party have no seats in the National Assembly. So, with all that said, Vicky, 577 deputies elected to the National Assembly, 245 for Macron's party. It's not a majority. It's very close to almost unworkable it looks like at the moment, because no one seems to want to go into coalition with him. So where, where do you see this going from here? And were you surprised by the results of the 19th of June? Uh, well, two questions there. Um, where do I see this going from here? I mean, I can't see basically anything majorly happening in France during this legislative period. Like nothing, no major legislation can get passed because there is not a majority to pass it. I think when you, anything it's going to get passed is going to be kind of moderate reform to pensions or slight environmental things. It's not going to be anything that have any real consequence because things that have real consequence have major supporters and major opposite opponents and you can't pass things with major opponents in this parliament. Um, did I see it coming? I think from how Macron's first term went, it didn't look like France was very united. And I think I was expecting a bit of a protest vote against him. I think it's really also noted that there was also quite low voter turnout 
as well, which shows how discontented like people of France generally are with the entire political system. So some just didn't vote. Some voted for either the extreme right or the extreme left just to show that they were unhappy and they needed radical change. Unfortunately, that's not what they're going to get because the status quo is going to be what remains because nothing else can change. And I think we just have to wait to see if Macron can kind of leverage some of the more moderate deputies from the left and the right parties to vote with him and maybe some of the Republicans to try to get some stuff passed. But I think in terms of seeing major developments in France, we've got to wait for more voting. Yeah, I mean, for in terms of the voter turnout, I I always bemoan how how low I feel the, the turnout gets in the United Kingdom. And now we're sat at what, uh, somewhere just shy of 70% average voter turnout for the last four general elections, I think, um, if we go 2010, 15, 17, 19. Um, look at France, 47.5% turnout in the first round, 462 in the second round. And the even more worrying thing is the second round turnout was actually up from last time. That's more people, a higher percentage of people for certain voting in the second round of legislative elections, and it's still not 50% turnout. If we look back to the UK's worst ever post-war turnout back in, uh, I think it was uh, 2001. Yeah, it was with um, Blair, wasn't 59%. It? That's still over 10% ahead of where the French turnout is. And they've gone up. This isn't even their their low watermark. I mean, that's I mean, surely it's, it's not so a sign worrying. of a democracy. It's so worrying because when we see low voter turnout in this country, like when the 2001 one you shared, that was because people felt there was no point because there was a party that was massively popular and was getting landslide victories. Yeah. But in France, we see a completely other direction where things are so up in the air and like such a low proportion of votes can make such a difference to how France is governed and people still aren't voting. And that just shows something fundamentally broken in a political system. Because if people aren't going to vote when it could really make a difference to their lives, when are they going to vote? Absolutely. And also, I think it was even worse among young people. I know that's true everywhere else. But to go come from to be so low in the general population, to see what it is among 18, 19, 20 year olds, and the future that means for how A, it means how little policy is going to be aimed towards them because you're not going to count on them as a reliable base voter and yeah. also how little engagement that's going to be as they get older in the French political system. It's just so worrying. Absolutely. Uh, these I've seen many, many different reports coming through from um, seasoned French journalists. And the resounding feeling here is that these are the most indecisive legislative elections since the turn of the millennium. Um, that's, that's a really bad sign, especially when you look at the struggles that Macron's had to deal with over the course of his first term. I mean, think back. I know they went on a little bit of a hiatus over COVID because, well, just about everything did. But look back to the Gilets Jaunes protests. They aren't going to go away anytime soon. I can see even more farmer protests coming up out of the woodwork as well. Macron himself, um, very unpopular. He only really gets through to win the presidential election because of Marine Le Pen being an even less popular candidate. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't campaign hard, which sense, you sense the feeling that he knew this was just around the corner. 
um, didn't want his name attached to it. And yet it absolutely will be. Uh, it's not a good sign, is it? I mean, yeah, I mean, and I think he can count himself as lucky if the elections happened when they, when they did. I mean, it's a bit of a sliding doors, who knows what reaction. But if the elections had happened a couple of weeks later, as inflation and oil prices keep yeah. going up and up and up, who knows what have happened? Because when people can't afford to do anything, they don't vote for the person in power. And they pretend to vote extremes. And who knows how much worse position he'd be in and how fewer people he'd have to work with if they'd been held even a week later than what they were. Yeah. I mean, we, we've already seen massive, massive gains for uh, the, the two more extreme, uh, but not exactly extremist, if you want to say, party blocks in this French legislative election um, Mélenchon's grouping on the left, Le Pen's grouping on the right. If we if we had waited, or if he had had to wait an extra week, even after the first round, it could have been too late for him to be even the largest party block. Which seems ridiculous, given that the president of France, or rather the incumbent president of France, has never had to work with anything less than an absolute majority since 1997. And this is the first time since 1988 that no alliance, no grouping at all has ever failed to win a majority. So these really are very uncertain times for the, the French legislative system. And when you have a system that isn't used to dealing with coalition or dealing or operating in a world in which votes don't just kind of mm. automatically pass, that could just become very tricky because no one in their parliament has any kind of memory or idea of how to work like that. And that means questions get raised of what's constitutional, what's allowed within the rules. Absolutely. And things just get much trickier because people don't know what to do. I mean, it's the coalition we had in 2015 isn't a great example of that because that worked somehow but if we think back to the DUP and Theresa May things don't work when systems are built to operate with less than a majority absolutely um but let's let's try and see the pathway to how how this does work because as I mentioned at the very start of this there is already a vote of no confidence scheduled in the government of Prime Minister or Premier Ministre Elizabeth Bourne, who has, even before this vote of no confidence, offered her resignation to President Macron and then um, had that resignation refused. Macron essentially telling her, stay in office, keep exactly the same cabinet, just either try and form a stable government with you at the head of it or without. So La France Insoumise, led by uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the major left-wing grouping, remember that grouping at the head of uh, NUPES, the ecological and social left-wing grouping, uh, they've requested that the vote of no confidence is going to be held on the 5th of July. Um, it's a 50 plus one vote in the National Assembly. And when there's no absolute majority for Emmanuel Macron and for Elizabeth Bourne and the people under them, it looks certain that a vote of no confidence would pass, right? I mean, you have to imagine it will. You have to imagine they're 
they're going to keep calling votes of no confidence until either they can hold some new elections or some of the left block or right block just decide that, oh, maybe this doesn't look great anymore. We should at least be seen to be trying to get something done. But with that, I can't imagine the voting confidence threat is ever going to go away from this part and in this period. And just that's going to mean that everything remains so unstable. Because how can a party long term plan if they don't know if they're going to be in office next week? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Emmanuel Macron has been planning somewhat to, to save. Uh, his his office until at least the week after next, shall we say, um, even if it might not contain Elizabeth Bourne as prime minister, because under the, the French system, the vote of no confidence passing only means that the, the president has to sack the government and appoint a new prime minister to form a new one, essentially in, in their name, fulfilling the role almost of the monarch in that particular scenario. And it looks like the, the hints and nudges are saying that Macron is eyeing up the UDC or Union Droite Centrale, uh, which is essentially aligned around the centre centre right grouping. It's made up of Les Républicains, who obviously had a disastrous presidential election, uh, one of the worst in their history under Valérie Pécresse when it was thought that she would be challenging uh, Marine Le Pen. Uh, it ended up that she almost lost her deposit, uh, which was absolutely, absolutely unthinkable going into it. And then you also have the Union of Democrats and Independents. Um, they look like the favourites for who Ensemble and La République en Marche, remember that's Macron's grouping and party, will try and get a coalition with. Now, Interestingly enough, you've got people heading up big parties. Um, so Horizons, for example, who are well within Emmanuel Macron's ensemble grouping, headed up by Edouard Philippe, Macron's former prime minister and a former leader in La République en Marche, Macron's own party. Um, he's centre-right. You've got the democratic movement. They're centre-centre-right. UDC, well, Christian Jacob, um, he's a leader of Les Républicains in the National Assembly, liberal conservative, centre-right, and then UDI, centre-centre-right, led by Jean-Christophe Lagarde. It looks like Ensemble are leaning slightly rightwards to try and sweep up those UDC members that they need. Remember, they, they only need the UDC to push themselves above 50% with the numbers they have at the moment. But interestingly enough, if you look, if you look to the far right and then to the left of um, La République en Marche, then you see some interesting politics being played, unsurprisingly, in a political system. Um, whilst Christian Jacob and the UDC previously said, no way, we're not going into a coalition with Macron. He's now backtracked and said, OK, I'll, I'll take part in the talks. If you look further right than Jacob and potentially why he's backed down and said he'll take part in talks, Le Pen has said that she would take part in talks with Emmanuel Macron to talk about a coalition deal in the Assembly. And then to the left, Olivier Faure, 
who is leader of Parti Socialiste, and Fabien Roussel, who is Parti Communiste Française, or the Communist Party, two of the parties within Jean-Luc Mélenchon's um, Nouvelle Union Populaire Ecologie Sociale, uh, they've said they will take part in talks, but Mélenchon himself, no talks. That's an absolute hodgepodge of how this is going to go. Where where do you see the positives for Macron in that particular political game of chess, Vicky? I mean, I think the positives are he's got probably enough centre centre right economists in that parliament to do some of his economic reforms. I mean, I think the ones they were talking about were. Uh, raising the retirement age and cutting taxes, that kind of thing. It doesn't really grab headlines, but he will be able to get done. The problems there are while he might have some economic agreements, he, as soon as you go kind of to more social issues or to more foreign policy issues, which are really going to dominate over the next couple of years mm-hmm. as you think about Ukraine, but also as you think about social issues concerning um rights being stripped back both in the states and across Europe for women we think about trans and gay rights that's gonna be something he struggles to get any agreement on with the people he's gonna aim to get agreement on for the economy so he can't really any coalition he forms is only going to be able to do one thing he can Mm. either have a coalition that forms the economy but then if he wants to think about defence spending and NATO, NATO, then he can forget about going really far right because Le Pen has some interesting thoughts about NATO and Putin and he, he can forget about going very left wing because they're kind of against NATO for their own reasons. Yeah. And he can't do and, and he's going to have to hope he can lop off a few moderates either side. But everything is going to have to go on a case-by-case basis and he's going to have to try and build a separate group of coalitions for basically every single policy. So I don't think we can expect anything to happen fast. Yes, uh, I think that whilst normally you might be looking at the the French system and seeing almost not quite a British level of how many bills get presented versus how many bills get passed, I think over the course of this parliament in the French legislative elections or assembly, rather, you'll be looking at an American level of how many bills get presented versus how many bills get passed. And for those of you who don't know quite what I'm talking about when I say that in the UK, about I think it's north of 95 percent of bills that get presented to parliament and go up for a vote, make it to the Queen's desk and she signs off on them in America it doesn't hit double digits. Um, It's absolutely farcical sometimes thinking just how much work goes in to doing absolutely nothing. And for the people of France, unfortunately, I think that's exactly what they're going to be looking at for the next five years, unless something drastically changes. We'd have to look at maybe, maybe one of those factions or groupings completely breaking up before you can even suggest potentially that there'll be meaningful, consistent action on any of these issues, don't you think? I mean, yes, um, we shouldn't downplay that. That is a a possibility. I mean, it feels unlikely at the moment, but the NUPES is made up of some people who probably disagree on as much uh, more than they actually agree on, but the thing they agree on Mm. is they wanted an opposition to Macron. But 
you think if a major crisis happens, if they start to, to argue amongst each other, that grouping could fall apart. It's not yeah. completely out there. And then you've maybe Macron's got some more stuff to work with. You have to wonder that with so little, if he if Macron maybe thinks about changing his behavior a bit to start testing out what uh, how he what he can do and influence his president and maybe just stop sending as much stuff through the parliament because nothing's going to get passed. Yeah, I mean, weirdly enough, this sort of smacks of a very similar issue that Joe Biden's going through right now in terms of he and and certainly what Obama went through in the last two to four years of his presidency. We're looking at almost a lame duck president already because the French constitution doesn't allow him to run again it's it's a five-year term renewable once so macron is is politically spent as president as far as i'm aware um he has nothing to think of except legacy he doesn't have to worry about himself being re-elected um i think we're going to see a lot of the french equivalent of executive actions from macron it's going to be minor tinkering with secondary legislation that doesn't require something being passed through Parliament or the National Assembly. But I wonder if, let's say he does, um, for want of a better phrase, get into bed with the, the centre-right, the Le Républicain, uh, UDC, the Union of the Right and the Centre, um, and pass some of those economic reforms. Let's, one of those sort of key ones is the raising of the pension age, um, and also cutting taxes. Now, cutting taxes is almost always universally popular. But the raising of the pension age, especially when young people are disenfranchised with politics anyway, could that come back to really bite Macron and people who come after him in the next round of elections or even before that with protests and defections, possibly? I mean, I imagine we're going to see mass protests. France is quite a staunch history of mass protests about any kind of major change so i can't imagine there's going to be any difference with the pension age it does seem to be a weird policy if you think about it in terms of just politics macron's base isn't young anyway macron's base is the type of people who are going to be affected by this having and are going to have to work for longer i mean i can see why maybe economically it might make sense but it feels like an odd thing to be like what your main one of your main policy ambitions during this legislative term. It does. It does feel almost like when Theresa May came out in the 2017 general uh, a snap election with the, the assassination tax. of the triple lock of pensions and the dementia tax, um, except that Macron, whilst he's almost exactly done a Theresa May in the sense that he's lost his majority, um, he's now scrambling and might have to actually stick with raising the pension age in order to get into power, whereas Theresa May, to stay in power, had to cut all ties and burn all bridges to that policy. I mean, I loved up doing a Theresa May is now like a recognisable term that we can apply to other countries' politics. And like, I, I hope that stays as a <laughs> for a long, long time. I mean, I'm pretty sure over the course of this podcast series, we're going to coin a lot of phrases. Um, we, we do like our euphemistic phrases, uh, Expression FM. And I've always been a fan of uh, that sort of thing on Politics Unboxed. So I'm sure there's going to be loads and loads of phrases that we're going to coin. Um, but again, 
Let's just turn to that the second one of those policies as well. Cutting of taxes. I know I said I'm about to absolutely contradict myself here. I know I said that cutting of taxes is almost universally popular. Uh, it's ba- mainly um, just a vote winner. You're going to have to pay less tax. Whoopee, let's go for it. But we're now seeing NUPES, this left-wing grouping who are in favour of an increase in the rate of tax on a progressive sliding scale. Um, within that, Parti Socialiste, it's in the name, they're socialist. Okay, they're centre-left, they're, they're not as socialist as, as some of the people in the NUPES. They're certainly not as redistributive in their aims as Parti Communiste Francaise. Um, I mean, it's in the name for them as well. But in times of an economic crisis, whilst releasing the tax burden might seem to be a surefire way to get some popular support, if reducing that tax burden means that the government can't do as much to support people when we're going through what is quite clearly a global cost of living crisis, fuel prices rocketing all around the the world. Could Macron almost have to fall on his sword with that one as well if he wants to get those economic reforms through that he's going to have to deal with even more unrest? I mean, I think if he does go for cutting taxes, it's going to be a very short term kind of solution to his problems. What he needs is to help to pass economic reforms to help the people of France, but he can't do that because he doesn't have the, pe- the, the votes to do it. And I think any cutting of taxes, which will be kind of less support for the pe- for general people in the social welfare net, is going to feed into any the narrative I think surrounds Macron already, that even though he is centre, he's very kind of centre-right, he's one of the elites, he supports the, those in the kind of banking and finance sector, that's his kind of background, that's mm. what we saw from the ang- anger of the Germ protest, that's the kind of reception they thought, the reception they had of Macron, and I think if this is the road to continue to go down, it's just going to be kind of fall into that perception people already have. So even if he does have big plans to ha- overhaul the social welfare net and he and he could say, well, that's what I would have done if I had the votes, but I don't have them. And it's these other parties trying to stop me. People aren't going to believe that because it kind of fits into what they think his priorities are already. Yeah, the if he does end up going into that... Um, right or centre-right coalition it's going to be very hard for him to play politically to the people of France that this former banker who was a minister in Francois Hollande's government and has now got into bed with the centre-right to cut tax and raise pension ages is someone who if he was given the chance all over again would have been a firebrand social reformer to try and alleviate the stresses on the people of France because quite simply the wool doesn't fall that far over people's eyes and to mix metaphors it won't wash um, Macron is going to have a tough job convincing people about his legacy in France. I think, I mean, all French presidents have a very tough job and it seems harsh to talk about Macron's legacy. What is it? Two months into his second term. Uh, but realistically, that's what he has to look for now. He has to look for how he wants to leave France because if he doesn't start thinking about it now, with the way that this assembly looks like it's going to be able to pass legislation, he's never going to get the time to think about it again. Yeah, I mean, how he chooses to leave France and how he chooses to leave his time in office is one of the only things he has control of now. It's one of the only things he can any. So that's, of course, that should be what he focuses on because yeah. what else is he going to be able to do? I mean, in, in terms of National Assembly, 
he's not going to be able to do very much. I mean, I'm just, I've been staring at this uh, seat breakdown for quite a while and it just looks ghastly. I would hate to be a political strategist for anyone surrounding Macron or within his party at all. Um, although I, I really do feel sorry for Elizabeth Bourne, who through no her fault, fault of her own, <laughs> through absolutely no fault of her own, was just nominated to the prime ministership, what, two weeks before the first round of, of voting in sort of late May, and then had to fight against these forces from the left and the right who were both rushing up behind her to try and overtake what was already an unstable majority and after how close Mélenchon got to becoming the the runoff candidate against Macron and also how much Macron's first round vote fell in the presidential election it looked like an undefendable majority by the time it got to the the legislative elections she's not going to stay prime minister for long unless she gets that deal with the the centre-right parties right now I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, by the time I finished editing it up, she could already be gone. This is how unstable her position is. Um, Macron has put yet another prime minister in an impossible position. He did it with Edouard Philippe. He did it with Jean Castex. And he's done it again now with Elizabeth Bourne. No one's going to want to be his next prime minister. I mean, he's got fewer choices than he had at the beginning of this voting period because he seems to have lost a lot of a cabinet and people he would have thought of as allies. There were yeah. quite a few kind of Edward Edwards, Michael Portillo moments in that election. They've lost some fairly big names in French politics. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're not going to want to be thought of as a friend of Macron anymore, are you, if you think <laughs> you want a political future? No, I mean, just looking at some of the people who, who went, um, the Minister for Health, gone. The Minister of... Um, it's a very weird name. The Minister of Ecological Transition and Territorial Cohesion, gone. Um, there's some very, very powerful ones. The Secretary of State in charge of the sea. That's, a well, less, that's quite a job. It's, it's, it's a very <laughs> important sea? job. Every sea? sea? Every <laughs> single sea that there's ever been. Uh, but no, there's... there's I really think Green Transition Minister words. Yeah. Europe Minister... There's just lots of lots of ministers who have been quite bad in terms of how they've managed to stay on. Um, several ministers didn't run again. Minister of the Economy, Europe, Justice, Education, Armed Forces, Higher Education, Culture, Sports, Equality, um, Secretary of State in charge of Territorial Development, Secretary of State for Children, Secretary of State for Development, La Francophonie, and International Partnerships. So that's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen ministers didn't stand, and then three went on to lose their seats. I mean, that's a vote of no confidence in, like, in itself. If, if we heard that half the cabinet weren't going to stand in the next election, that wouldn't do the Conservative Party any favours. No. I mean, it's it looks quite bad for Emmanuel Macron. And actually, I'm just going to have a quick look at the, the ministers who did win in the second round, because Elizabeth Bourne, who ran in the sixth constituency for Calvados, she only got 52.5%. 
um, looking at the Minister of Transformation and Public Service. He only got 51%. Minister Delegate in charge of Europe, 50.73. There are some squeaky, squeaky majorities coming through from big ministers. And that's not good at all. No, because you, you're going to be constantly watching your back because it then makes it a kind of throw-up choice. Do I want to make radical? Do I want to try and make radical change and push for it, but then probably end my political career, or do I want to try and cling on to my position in the hopes that at least I'll still be in the parliament next term and I can yeah. try and change things from there? It's it's going to be a rough, rough ride for Macron and for. Elizabeth Bourne, but what I think is probably a, a natural ending point to this particular analysis of the the legislative elections here, or not here, I'm not in France, what am I saying, for the legislative elections in France, um, it's going to be very, very tough. I We've both said on a number of occasions, we don't see much change happening very fast. Expect the process of change to be glacial. And um, no, I mean, I mean, glacial growth, not glacial uh, reduction, because that seems to happen a lot faster than we're expecting to see French legislative action in this term. Uh, Vicky, any sort of final thoughts on how this one's going to go? I mean, who knows? I just I. It just it's just sad because the people of France aren't gonna get any major change. It's gonna weaken France's ability to do anything on the world stage because Macron can only kind of be a figurehead rather than promoting anything. And you've just got to wonder what it means for the future of France, for the future of the EU, for the future of kind of the general Western Europe order. And that's just a lot of uncertainty. And with that bout of existentialism about the future of many important democratic institutions that people have a lot of faith in and some people have put a lot of trust in, um, I think it is time that we end this before we go on and try and say why this election undermines absolutely everything possible, um, because it could. But let's leave that one. Let's leave that one there. Um, Emmanuel Macron will not be having any easy night's sleep for the foreseeable future in terms of his political power and it looks like the ball is very firmly in the court of people like Christian Jacob, Jean-Luc Mélenchon and Marine Le Pen. So from me and also from Vicky, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Election Watch and we will be back very soon with another one.